The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. I have been saying this week, especially at the end of the week, how excited I am to come to chapter 12 in Ecclesiastes. Not because it's the end of the book, but because it's such a great, great, great chapter. You and I have been on a journey together since January through a book that if you were not familiar with it, hopefully you have become familiar with it. So let's go to it together. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It's on page 559 of a Bible in the pew rack. If you need it as you're going there, like I said, we've been here since January, have been walking uh, this road with the preacher as you're turning there. I wonder if you know this song. You may or may not. Up a narrow flight of stairs to a narrow little room. As I lie upon my bed in the early evening gloom, impaled upon my wall, my eyes can dimly see the riddle of my life and the puzzle that is me. No Paul Simon fans here this morning. Paul Simon wrote that, and he says, life is a puzzle. Well, the preacher in Ecclesiastes agreed when he says that life is a riddle. And life is sometimes really hard to figure out and make sense of, isn't it? It just is. How does life all fit together? Well, Ecclesiastes has gone to great and sometimes exhausting lengths to say that if we attempt to make sense of the riddle of life, in our own wisdom, that is the same thing as having a million puzzle pieces and no puzzle box cover to put it all together. Just stuck wondering how it all fits together and how it all makes sense to try to figure out what this life is supposed to look like. You and I need God's wisdom to figure out life the same way you need a puzzle box cover front to make sense of the puzzle. Otherwise, if you attempt to live your life in your own wisdom, if you attempt to skirt God's wisdom and go about it your own way, demand to live your life in the words of Ecclesiastes under the sun, it will end up in, the preacher's favorite word, futility, madness, vanity. Life will be vexing and frustrating for you if you go about it in your own wisdom. So the preacher has walked us down these dead-end streets in order to point out that there is nothing under the sun that will answer your deepest questions or satisfy your deepest longings. There is nothing under the sun that will do that for you, which is why you must look to God to make sense of your life. Or to use another musical reference, this one for the Gen Xers or the early millennials, how did Oasis put it that all the roads we have to walk are winding and all the lights that lead us here are blinding? Winding roads, blinding lights. I'm trying to be cross-generational here in my musical references, folks. Living by our own wisdom is like wandering around blind. And the reason why the preacher has gone to these great lengths to say this is not to depress us, but rather to impress upon us God's true wisdom to say that we must look to God in order to see where our deepest longings may be truly and eternally satisfied. And here's the thing. 
you know that that's true. You know that it's true. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody knows this is true. From the most ardent unbeliever to the sincerest believer, every human being knows that this is true because of what the preacher said back in chapter 3, that God has set eternity into the heart of every man. Every human being knows that they were made for more than just living and dying. But how does it all fit together and make sense? We're going to see how it wraps up now. Now, like any good preacher, hopefully, sometimes the metaphor is used, the sermon is like a plane ride. You know, there's a takeoff. Sooner or later, sooner or later there's got to be a landing, right? They've got to wrap it up. They've got to make a conclusion and finish what they're saying. Hopefully it's a smooth landing without much turbulence. The sermon has to have a conclusion. Sometimes you might feel like it's a, an abrupt crash landing that's leaving you wondering and shocked and upset. But what's going to happen here in chapter 12 is that the preacher, Koheleth is what he calls himself, the preacher is going to bring the book of Ecclesiastes in for what I think is a wonderfully smooth and beautiful, satisfying landing. Let's see it together. Let's first pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you give us the Bible, your inspired word that we might know you, that we might love you, that we might obey you. And so we pray now, come by the power of your spirit to rest upon our minds and upon our hearts, that we might receive this as your living word and truth. And so, Lord, live changed as a result of it. Come now to bless your word to your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. This is the word of God. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. For the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors of the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. 
for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So let's keep our Bibles open here in chapter 12. And you see the sermon title, A Final Word from the Preacher. Well, it's really uh, three words. Let's summarize this with three words. And here they are to give us an outline of the text. I'll give it to you right away. Here are the three. Number one, brevity. Number two, reality. And number three, certainty. Brevity, reality, certainty. And the first one is brevity. The brevity of life. The brevity of life. In these first five verses, we see the brevity of life. Now, last week made mention about the fact that young people so oftentimes spend uh, their years wishing away their lives, wishing away a decade of their lives, wishing they were just a little bit older, a little bit older, a little bit older. The preacher has come now to the end to say, one minute you're a young man, one minute you're a young woman, bright-eyed and all of your life ahead of you, and the next moment, seemingly in an instant, you're old. And you're looking back on life that went far too fast. Looking back on a life of memories, some memories you can't even remember anymore. You rarely hear people remark about how slowly their life has gone, do you? It's always the opposite. Time moves quickly. That's what the preacher says at the beginning, and that's why he says what he says here in verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. I have no pleasure in these days. I'm wishing back upon the days that were, the days in which I had pleasure. And it goes so fast. And young people, you don't believe that. One day you will. How old do you have to be to be considered still young? I don't know. If you want to consider yourself young and categorize yourself in that, that's fine. When in reality, this word is written to the days of your youth as if to suggest, so long as you're still alive. Okay? So congratulations. We're all young here this morning. And the preacher is speaking this final word to us about the brevity of life. Life is altogether brief. And in order to do that, he gives us this picture. And it's all these running lists of pictures and a metaphor. And it's one big illustration of your life as a house. Your life is like a house. And soon that house of your life is going to start showing evidences of wear and tear. And for all the effort that you put into maintaining the house, every effort to maintain reveals that there is still just inevitable decay. So the preacher here is drawing attention to that. What does it look like? Now, again, here's a word of qualification. To some of us, what the preacher says here is going to ring true with just painfully familiar words. To the rest of us, to the rest of you, the preacher is saying, just wait. Just wait. This is coming. 
So everyone, no matter how old you are, from the youngest to the oldest, pay close attention to what the preacher is saying. There is going to come a day, and he runs into these illustrations, starting at verse 3. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rapid fire these and explain them one by one. You ready? Your life is a house, and it's inevitable aging. In the day, verse 3, when the keepers of the house tremble, your hands will develop a shake. You'll start spilling your coffee far more than you used to. The strong men are bent over, bow-legged and hunched over, not standing upright anymore, but leaning over more and more. And the grinders cease because they are few. That's particularly a picture of teeth. Specifically molars. You get older and you can't chew your food properly anymore. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. It's talking about the eyes as the window. You're constantly searching for your reading glasses. Constantly searching for your spectacles because I can't see anything. Verse 4, and the doors of the street are shut. Your ears shut. You become hard of hearing. You find yourself in intriguing conversations, comparing notes about hearing aids because that's one of the most exciting things you have going anymore. And the sound of the grinding is low. You find yourself ordering soup because it's easier to eat. So you don't choke on it. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, you awake at dawn because you become something of an insomniac. You don't sleep as well as you used to, or you need a sleeping pill to do so. Don't be offended by all of these. Just shake your head and identify that these things are a reality. Verse 5, they are afraid of what is high after the daughters of song are brought low. Your voice becomes raspy. And then in verse 5, you are afraid of what is high. You become leery about the stairs. You always reach for the railing. You leave early to avoid the crowd, or you stay late to avoid the crowd because you don't want to be jostled around and throw off balance. Still in verse 5, the almond tree blossoms. It's a reference to the first tree that blossoms in Palestine, the almond tree. It blooms white, just like the color of your hair as it turns if you have hair yet left. And the grasshopper drags itself along. Once light and agile, the picture of the grasshopper hopping along is now dragging itself. Our, our kids start to yell at us, Pick up your feet. Don't shuffle or you're going to trip. Desire fails. Literally in Hebrews, the caperberry fails, which is an appetite stimulant in the ancient Near East, meaning you've lost your taste for food. You stop eating. You start to lose weight and begin to shrink. You find yourself not wanting to leave the house anymore in the summertime without a sweater because you might get cold even though it's 100 degrees outside. Again, don't be offended by this. But you used to just hop in the car, right? And cruise. And now you think it's not worth the effort of getting in the car and the effort of getting out the car. Again, you'll have to make geriatric appointments one day. And you'll be told, be careful not to take a fall. Children, you're listening to this saying, what in the world? Young people, one day you will visit those aisles of the drugstore that you wander by without a clue of what's in them. And you'll be comparing notes on the best cure for that great fiend arthritis that you always heard your grandfather talking about. Now, I had to take a pause here in all of this and admit something to myself. You know, because I'm in my 30s. And the temptation is for young people to hear that and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I had to admit to myself the other day? 
I prefer to sit down now to put on my socks. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is true. <laughs> what's, what's the point of all this? What's the point? The writer is making a point of contact. He's not poking fun. He's just speaking about reality, isn't he? And what he's saying is true, isn't it? That life is altogether brief. It goes so quickly. That's why he says here at the beginning, remember also your creator in the days of your youth because life is short. It's shorter than you think it is. In a real sense, we must be alert to this reality. We must remember our creator so that we don't live by way of self-sufficiency but learn to live in dependency upon the God who has made us. And young people, you must determine in your mind now that that is true, that you are not an accident, you are not random uh, chance or primordial ooze and a lightning bolt and some random chance of biological happenstance. You are created by God on purpose. And you are to use that life to live before him. Because one day you're going to grow old and dependent. So you must learn to be spiritually dependent now. Because we are all one day returning to the God who has made us. The brevity of life. Which brings us to the second word here. Reality. The reality of death. Verses 5 through 8. Where's this... Where's this creaky old rickety house of mine headed? There in the middle of verse 5 he says, Man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. The preacher's talking about death and the inevitable reality about death. The inevitable conclusion to this brief life of ours, and the Bible speaks so clearly about this and the book of Ecclesiastes specifically is so focused on this and the reason why we have to see it ourselves and see the blunt teaching about it is because you and I live in a culture that doesn't know how to talk about this. That doesn't know how to deal with these realities. The brevity of life and the reality of death. It does not have an answer to the grave problem that death presents. Our secular age doesn't know what to do when, for example, in the words of verse 6, the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. Those are all pictures of water receptacles, right? Bowl, pitcher, cistern intended to hold water. Water is a symbol of life. And so to speak of the broken bowl, the shattered pitcher, and a cistern that can no longer provide is to say, life will one day run out. Life in this flesh will come to an end. In the words of verse 7, the dust returns to earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. That's why we say, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Because one day, you will breathe your last. And by and large, as we've said, we live in a world that doesn't know what to say about that. It doesn't know how to deal with it. Because we don't want to face it. That's why Ecclesiastes goes to great lengths to say, 
you and I will succumb to the reality of our mortality. Our bodies will be dissolved to dust and our spirits will return to God who made them. There is death in the world because there is sin in the world, so says Paul in Romans 5. Sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through Adam's sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. You don't die because you're mortal. You're mortal and you die because you're a sinner. But we don't want to face it. We don't want to reckon with it. Now, just to kind of press pause on all this because that's, that's, that's hefty and I acknowledge it. Let me tell you, from time to time, I get to sit somewhere that I venture to guess that you will never, ever sit in your whole life. And that is the passenger seat of the lead car of the funeral procession. As the funeral director chauffeurs me, the clergy, to the graveside to conduct the service. I love to talk to these guys. I love to ask them questions. I love to hear what they think about what they're doing. And my favorite question to ask them is, what's the biggest change you've seen in your industry, your profession over the years? And without fail, no matter what funeral home it is, every single one of them says the exact same thing, and it's this. They all agree that the funeral service is being displaced for the celebration of life. That we don't have funeral services anymore, we just have celebrations. There's a lot in that if you think about it. Because our culture has become so increasingly secular, we lose the ability to grieve and to reckon with the reality of death and eternity. We don't want to sit and think and pray about this anymore. We just want to go and have cake. And I'm all for celebrating life. But if you don't grieve loss, you're not really honoring that life completely. What the Bible is saying, what the Christian church has the opportunity to say, and what you as a Christian believer have the opportunity to say is, we have an answer. We have an answer to life's most vexing problem, that it will come to an end. And we have an answer, don't we? In Jesus Christ. We'll see that more here in just a little bit. What the preacher is saying is well summarized by what one commentator says about what this passage is doing. Some of you will like this passage. Some of you will not like this passage. But what this passage is doing is, in the words of this commentator, death has not yet reached out to us, but let it rattle its chains at us so as to call us to action. Makes me think of Jacob Marley at the beginning of it. Christmas Carol, right? Shaking his chains at Ebenezer Scrooge, saying, Death is a reality, and that's what the preacher is doing here. He's asking, How will you live your life in light of the certain reality of your death? Well, the final word then, brevity. Secondly, reality. 
The last one is certainty in verses 9 to 14. The certainty of judgment. Here goes the preacher reaching his conclusion. Look at verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end of much study is a weariness of the flesh. What he's saying is that the preacher has spent these 12 chapters, 12 chapters belaboring the point, teaching us knowledge, and his words are like goads, verse 11. What's a goat? A, a goad is a, a long pointy stick, right, that you use to, to move along an animal. Back then, like an oxen or a beast of burden, to get them to be headed in the right direction. And, and the preacher's words are like goads to us to keep us headed in the right direction. The book of Ecclesiastes should have that kind of impact. It doesn't always feel good, did it? But what's it intended to do? Get you to go in the right direction. Striking with the impact. They should be resulting in the same way as he says, nails hammered into a wall, embedded, fixed, to show the path of life. So that the thoughts, the observations, the sayings, the proverbs of the preacher stick in our mind as these collected sayings are actually given by, at the end of verse 11, one shepherd. Who is the shepherd? The same one who said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says it that way. The preacher in Ecclesiastes is doing the same thing, saying this is the way of life. We're warned here about straying beyond the words, the shepherd beyond the word of God. He's pointing out the fact that there are many books, as if to say there's many opinions, there's many thoughts, there'll be many writers, but do you hear the voice of the shepherd? Are you listening to the voice of the shepherd as he calls to you? He's saying, ultimately, do you hear the voice of Jesus in the scriptures? Let me tell you where else I sit from time to time. And it's a place where you sit all the time. And I rarely ever sit. Sometimes on Friday afternoon, I come in here and I sit in these pews. Just quietly by myself. The pew that you maybe consider your pew, right? Take out the Bible that's near you and just thumb through the pages. And I think about you. And I think about myself. I think about us as the people of God. And I ask the question, are we listening to the voice of the shepherd? Do we hear his voice as he calls to us saying, come, and believe and turn from those ways in which you have walked and follow me. Are we wise? Are we as a congregation wise? If we will be wise, we must take to heart what he says is the final matter. Verse 13, the end. The actual conclusion then is here. Verse 13, here is the end of the matter. 
All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Why does it end this way? Why does the preacher end here telling us about the judgment? He ends here because he is saying to you that everything matters. Everything matters. The preacher has been showing us line by line, chapter by chapter, that everything is vanity without God. Everything is meaningless without God. Without God, there is no purpose or meaning in life. To the person who asks in the middle of the night, staring up in their ceiling, is this all that there is? There can't be anything beyond this. Surely there is no God. They come to the conclusion there's no God. If there's no God, there's no judgment. And if there's no judgment, then nothing matters, the preacher says. It's all vanity. Forget it. But if there is a God, and there is a judgment, then everything matters. Do you see that? Everything matters, Ecclesiastes says at the end. It's been showing us how in this fallen world we find true satisfaction in the most ordinary realities, rising, sitting, eating, drinking, being with our family, going about our vocation, worshiping in the Lord's house, how we can find true satisfaction for time and eternity. And since it is true that God will bring all things into judgment at the end, then you and I must be sure about that judgment. We must be sure about how it all will end up at the end, how the judgment will be rendered on that great and awesome day, Ecclesiastes says, and ultimately is pointing to, if you want to be sure about that day, if you want to find real and lasting satisfaction, we must entrust our lives to Jesus Christ. That's how to find meaning and satisfaction in life. Because it is into the vanity of this fallen world that our Savior has come. And just like you in your flesh, he suffered the vanity and the futility and the sorrows of this world, living life under the sun, but dying without sin, giving himself as a substitute, rising again to declare that in me, Jesus says, meaning is found, significance is found, satisfaction is found, but outside of me, it's just not there. This is, loved ones, the gospel, isn't it? Fear God. Love God. Trust God. Believe God. Obey God. Rest in God. Receive His covenant mercy. That's what it means for the believer to fear God, to tremble before Him and His holiness in reverence and awe and love and adoration in humble worship. That's what it means to fear God. So you've got to get this right, don't you? You and I have to get this right. So here's what it looks like. As God extends to us His covenant mercy, Jesus has come into this fallen world, as the preacher has said in Ecclesiastes. And what the Father says is that He turns to the Son and He says, Son, will you have this sinner? Will you love this sinner? Will you die 
for this sinner? And Jesus says, I will. And the Father looks to you and says, Sinner, will you have this Savior? In the language of a covenant, you think of marriage because that's what a covenant is. Sinner, will you have this Savior? Will you call Jesus your own? Will you hide yourself in his righteous life? Will you shelter yourself under his wounds? Will you seek the hope of your eternity in him? Will you have this Savior? That's what it means then to fear God and keep his commandments. Jesus said the same thing. If you love me, keep my commandments. Because the fear of God delivers us from all of our other fears. The fear of death. The fear that I've made such a royal mess out of my life. The fear that I could not possibly be forgiven. The fear of God delivers from all of all of our fears. That's why John Newton wrote this. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. To know God, to obey God through His Savior is what it means as the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Will you do it? May God bless us as we do that for Christ's sake. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the book of Ecclesiastes and we thank You for how Your Spirit has revealed the Lord Jesus even in its pages. And we pray now that we might indeed fear You and keep Your commandments so to glorify You and enjoy You forever for that is our chief end. Bless us in that as we pray for Christ's sake and for His glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.